Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to the book of Hebrews, and uh, we are working our way through this great book in our winter and spring series. This morning we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, and so I want to read all six verses for us, and then uh, hope to teach and preach it and apply it to our lives, and so if you would follow along with me. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. He says this, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle, the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more the glory of the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all, in all to God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Pray with me. Father, uh, we pray that you'd bless the teaching and preaching of your word. Would you change uh, how we feel, how we think, uh, that we would fall more in love with you today, and uh, we pray these things in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. Well, a couple of things, when you come to a text like this uh, and you, as a pastor, sometimes I read things like this and I wonder how in the world uh, do you apply uh, a passage of scripture where they're talking to a group of people who have basically become more infatuated with a guy named Moses. They've fallen in love with Moses, if you will. They've given their life to Moses. There are a group of individuals who at one point professed Christ they're walking with Christ, they're loving Christ, adoring Christ, and then it's somewhere along the way, their old way of thinking began to creep back in. And the way that they revered Moses within the Jewish culture and within that community, it began to sneak itself back into the Christian community. And so they began to, to say, some of them began to say, maybe Jesus is not as great as Moses, maybe the, the ways that we used to think prior to this Maybe those ways were better. Now, I know that there's probably not anyone here today that is in danger of worshiping Moses to the neglect of Christ, but I do believe there are perhaps some of us that are here in this room that think back to the times in which they didn't know Jesus and have begun to revert back to the things, perhaps in this moment, in this time, that they used to hold dear to their hearts. And now, all of a sudden, it's not Moses who has gained your recognition and attention again, but it's rather the things that you perhaps used to do before you knew Christ. And so today, as we come before this text and we see this group of individuals who begin to revere Moses, I wanna remind us just of a couple of things, textually speaking, that, that we're here within this moment. He begins to talk about who Jesus is, and he begins to, to make this contrast with Moses. And I wanna remind us of a couple of things about Moses and hopefully we can sort of empathize with this group of believers that has come along and things that we know that they understood and rightfully so, it led them down a path where they began to deceive themselves. Number one is this, when we read Hebrews 3, one through six, with a Jewish audience in mind, I want us to remember these things. Number one is this, Moses was divinely chosen by God to lead his people. In Exodus 2, God calls him out. In Exodus 3, we see Moses uh, in the burning bush appearing to him. God begins to speak, and God says, listen, Moses, even though you have a stutter, I'm gonna raise up another one beside you, and you're gonna be my chosen prophet to bring my people and to deliver them out of the heavy hand of Pharaoh. He was chosen by God. 
And within the Jewish culture at this point, they, they revered Moses. I mean, he was the penultimate of, of all the men that they were to look towards, that they were to emulate, that they were to imitate, and, and they were to be like. He was God's chosen servant. The I am calls him out in Hebrews 3. Number two is this. Moses was the deliverer of his people, Exodus 7 through all the way to chapter 12. And we saw this as we walked through the, the plagues. We, we see God use Moses in some miraculous ways and he does some incredible things through the life of Moses. He, he turns the Nile River into blood. He, he brings about the plagues of the frogs and the gnats and the flies and the hail and the, and the boils. He, he executes his justice in the night of the Passover. With Moses' staff, he parts the Red Sea. He, he breaks the rock open and water comes and, and it's supplies uh, what his people need. God used Moses in some miraculous ways. He was described in Numbers 12 as Israel's greatest prophet. There was no one that was greater than Moses. In fact, it was Moses who would, who would sit and God would communicate face to face with. He would speak directly to where all other men prior to that, he, he would use someone else. With Moses, I speak face to face, not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. He was Israel's greatest prophet. He was also the lawgiver. To the Jew, Moses was the law. He was the greatest thing that, that had come. He was the agent in which God delivered his moral law, the Ten Commandments, and he said, do this and don't do that. He was the agent to which God said, this is how you'll worship in the ceremonial laws when you come before me. He, he was through Moses that he gave the civil law. So when you wronged your neighbor, or your neighbor wronged you, Moses gave the law. Over 634 some odd laws given in the Old Testament were delivered through Moses, and Moses was the conduit. He was the agent through which God spoke, and so they revered Moses. They loved Moses. They looked up to him. It was Moses that wrote the first five books of the Bible. He was the greatest historian at the time, the Pentateuch, and what we call it, the first five books Moses authored, and so we, we come before in these first five books in the Old Testament, Moses is the author of it. Inspired by God and the spirit of God, he, he gives us his word. What an incredible man, what an incredible historian. And then he goes on in Numbers 12, get this, despite him accomplishing all of those things, it says there never was a more humble man in Numbers 12 than Moses. He was described as more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Think about that for just a moment. All of these miraculous and incredible things that God did, he accomplished him through his servant, Moses. Yet at the end of Moses' life, he's referred to in Numbers 12 as the most humble of all men. Incredible things. And so at some point, the gospel comes and it invades this Jewish community. And, and, and they, they hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel, they profess Christ and say, we love you, Jesus, we, we worship you, Jesus, we, we sing songs to you, Jesus. Then at some point within the life of the church, this old way of thinking and how they revered Moses and almost worshiped Moses, it began to creep itself back into the church. And, and we might say, knowing these things about Moses, we would say, well, well obviously, he, he was one of the greatest men to, to ever live. And, and you can identify just for a moment the people's tendency to, to drift back towards what they know. To drift back towards how they used to think and 
and how they used to live. This, this morning, can I just ask you this question that I've asked myself this question all week. What are you, what are you drifting back towards today? What old way of thinking, what old way of, of behaving, what old way of acting, what, what old ways that, that consumed you do, you, do you find yourself now on this side of the, of the cross and the gospel, following Jesus, professing Jesus, yet you, you still find yourself lingering and you still find yourself being entangled with, with feelings of, of doubt and, and fear. You still find yourself caught up in, in the ways that you, you used to act prior to Christ, that at some point they've crept back into your life. Just as these have, have crept back in and their view and their understanding. And so we, we see the text clearly. Verse one, he makes that statement. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And what we see throughout the book of Hebrews is, is in these next few chapters, everything that, that he talks about, everything that he proclaims, all of this is meant to be built around and, and rooted around what we see in, in Hebrews chapter one. And so you remember from a couple of weeks ago, and I'll read it for you uh, very quickly. In the very beginning, uh, he says this, long time ago, in many ways, God spoke to us by his prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. And this son to whom we proclaim, remember these statements. He says, this Jesus that we sing about, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of, of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's made purification for sins. He's cleansed us. He's made us right with the Father. That every benefit and promise that we have today that has been given through the Father has been given because of what Jesus did. Therefore, chapter three, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. I love the, the song sequence before we get to the sermon today because we, we talked about in several of those songs how, how God has chosen us, how God has called us, how God was the one in his sovereignty that, that picked us up out of our sin and he brings us into the light. He reveals himself to us through his scripture and, and through his holy word and, and he inspires those things. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, because here's the reality of that statement that's so striking to me, is not so much that, that I get to share in that heavenly calling, is he just simply says, those who share, meaning this, the inference is there are some that do not. There are some that don't, don't have my, my calling, and I'm not talking about a calling to, to preach and, and to be a pastor or an elder. I'm just talking about a calling that is shared and being called to Christ in salvation, knowing Jesus and walking with him. Therefore, those of you who share in this holy calling, consider Jesus. Consider him. Some translations say, fix your eyes upon him. What that phrase, fix your eyes, what that word consider, it, it means to, to put your attention upon him. To put your, your glance and, and your gaze upon him, to examine him, to study him, to know him, to, to be in relationship with him, to be in union with him, to walk with him, and to, to be with him, to give your life to him. Therefore, if Jesus is all of those things, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, therefore, fix your eyes on him, consider 
him. Pay attention to him. Look at him. There's not a day that has gone by over the past two or three years that my wife and I, uh, on a weekly basis, we, we lament, but we embrace the fact that, that we're just getting older. And uh, we're not as old as, as some of you, we're not as young as some of you, but uh, we happen to find ourselves in the, in the middle of a season where our kids uh, encompass almost every age group and every dynamic. So we're raising, raising uh, little bitties that are five and six and seven years old, and then we've got a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, and every age in between. And so uh, last night, uh, to embarrass my kids just for a moment, because it wouldn't be fair if I didn't talk about them just a little bit, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, she hit the road for uh, her school's uh, spring, winter, formal dance, whatever. Yes, we're Baptists. Yes, we dance, and it's okay to dance. Some of us dance better than others. We, we're all better than Mike Peterson. We know that, and Kurt Gleach. Uh, some dance and some don't, and it's okay. We can dance, all right? We do it in a way that honors the Lord. And my son, uh, he was invited to this dance, uh, but he led the rebellion for his junior class uh, and just said, instead, I was just going to have some guys over and we're going to hang out at the house instead of going. I said, that's fine. You come over to our house. Uh, he said, it's on a Saturday night, dad. Uh, I know you don't have anything else to do on a Saturday night preparing for Sunday. Uh, we're going to stay up all night, do whatever. I said, great. This is going to be a great time. You do your thing. Uh, go for it. So a couple of his friends uh, come over early and one of his friends I know better than the other. And I pulled him aside and I said, listen here. I said, I know there's a group of you coming over tonight. Um, Y'all are gonna stay up long past. I'm awake. I'm going to bed at like 10. Uh, Do right. You know, all these things. Get this lecture. I said, but listen to this. Consider this just for a moment. When Jesus says to fix our eyes upon him to consider this, I want you to know that I have a camera on every angle in this house outside and I can see most places inside. And it has an audio camera so I know what you talk about. I know where you are, even if you don't know where you are. There is not a corner that you can go out outside that I cannot see you, that will not record it, that will not digitize it, that will not be on the record, and I will show your mamas. I will record you in HD, so if you do anything after Haley and I go to sleep, we will know about these things. Consider these things. You are being watched at all times. That camera has its, has its gaze on you at, at all times. The funny thing yesterday was several, about a month ago, um, our power went out and all of my ring cameras had to be rebooted. And I hadn't rebooted two of them, so two of them weren't working. So dad spent about an hour yesterday in anticipation of these teenagers coming and making sure that these cameras were, were up and running so that I could watch every single move that they make. And, and they quit making moves about 3 a.m. this morning. But consider this. The writer of Hebrews says, would you consider this Jesus? Would you put your attention upon him? Would you put your gaze upon him? Would you put your focus upon him? Would you cling tightly to him? Therefore, holy brethren, therefore those who have been called by God, would you consider Jesus? He says he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Just two quick things about that. Number one, he describes him as an apostle, meaning this, he was sent by the Father to be on mission. He was sent by the Father and he had purpose in his life. He had a task in his life. He had a mission in his life. And so friends, can I just gently remind us this morning as Jesus was and is the chief apostle, yet Jesus was sent to live on mission, to be on mission. And now what he has done after his death, burial, and resurrection, he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he gives that mission to you and to me today. 
And he says, now the mission that I had, you have. The mission that I embodied, the mission that I proclaimed, now you have that mission. He says he's our high priest. He's the one that, that intercedes for us and, and on our behalf to the Father. He's, he's the one that, that, that speaks to the Father. He prays for us and he's with us. He's our advocate. He's the one that's reconciled us to him. He's the, he's the way in which, John 14, 6, if we wanna get to the Father, if we wanna get to God, we, we have to go through Christ. He is the chief apostle. He is the chief high priest. Therefore, would you hold fast to the confession that, that you proclaim, that you give our confession? Would you consider him? Would you fix your eyes upon him? Why? Verse two, he says, he was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And so it was commonly held within the ancient world and it's still commonly held today that oftentimes it was thought of that the architect was greater than the building to which he built. The architect was the one that, that you revere. Just this past week, we were having dinner uh, with a lady from our church whose dad was the pastor here at Travis when this sanctuary was built. And we were back in this study and we were seeing all these pictures and, and I happened to find myself alone with one of my daughters and, and I said, isn't it, isn't it so fascinating to be in the home of, a, of the daughter of the pastor who, who had the vision at one point to, to build a sanctuary as glorious as this with the, with the high ceilings and the molding and, and all of the architecture that exists. There was a vision that existed within his head. And then we come to church on Sunday and I remember the very first time that I, I came to Travis and I, and I walked into this room and, and it inspires a sense with the, the high ceilings and even with the chandeliers and the lights, it, it inspires this sense of, of awe and it inspires this, this, this sense of, of worship to come and to gather. And I know that the church is, is not the building, the people are the church, but there's something about coming into a place that, that it feels like church because it should feel like church church and you come and you, and you worship and your heart is lifted up. But friends, we, we don't worship the sanctuary and we don't worship the, the pastor who, who had the vision or the committee that, that created the vision. What, what we worship is far greater, the giver of all things, the mate architect, the, the one who designs and who inspires all of those things. We worship Jesus. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, Moses, Moses was good, but Jesus is greater. He's a, he's a good person, and those old ways of, of doing things might have been okay and even right before the Lord, but you've been changed now. You've been redeemed now. You've been reconciled now. And so those old things and those old tendencies that you, you gravitate towards, what he's saying in those moments, they, they might be good things. They might have been very sinful and, and wrong things, but the reminder here as we consider Jesus is that he is better. He is greater. For every house, verse four, is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Verse five, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken latter, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. I want you to notice two words that are striking there within those verses. In the beginning, he describes Moses as just what? He's just a servant. 
Then he goes on and he talks about Jesus and he says, Jesus, not as described in this text as a, as a servant, though he was a servant. No, Jesus is described in that next verse as a what? Son. Moses was the servant that existed to serve the son. And the implication here is that Jesus is far greater and better. He is, he is far bigger than, than the servant would ever be. Why? Because he is a part of, of the family of God. He is God's only begotten son, not just a servant who does menial things, though there's nothing wrong with that. And he embodied the nature of a servant when he humbles himself. But, but what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's saying, no, Mo- Moses was, was just the, the servant, but, but Jesus, he is the son, he is Family. He, is, he is the heir of all things. He reigns and rules over all things. Therefore, friend, would you consider him? Therefore, because he is the son. Therefore, because he is the radiance of God's glory. Therefore, because he is the exact imprint of his nature. Therefore, because he was there in the very beginning and all things were created by him and through him and for him. Not one thing that exists today did not pass through his hands. He is everything that we hope he will be. He is everything that we long for him to be. He is the savior of the world. Therefore, friends, would you consider him Elsewhere in the Bible, it refers to this Jesus that we're called to consider. It says he's the, the king of kings. He says he is the, the king of Israel, not just a, the great prophet of Israel. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of, of righteousness elsewhere. He's referred to as the king of ages. He reigns supremely as the, as the king of heaven. He rules and, and he reigns right now. Therefore, friends, would you, would you consider this Jesus? Would you put your attention on him? Would you focus your eyes upon him? He is sovereign in all he does. He has an infinite amount of love and and, and strength. He is strong. He, He is the most sincere person that has ever existed, but he is also at the same time the most misunderstood person that has ever existed. He always means what he says, and he does what he says he's gonna do. I don't know this morning if you feel misunderstood by some, but, but can I say that you can come alongside Christ because he was the most misunderstood person that has ever existed. And he gave up the right to, to always be understood because he understood he was an apostle sent by God on mission with God. He had a purpose with God, and so he goes and he executes that mission. He was the most conflict-averse individual that has ever existed. Everywhere he he went later on in his life, conflict followed Jesus. Do you recognize that? Doing right before the Lord, doing justice before the Lord and, and his people, living on mission with him, and conflict always followed Jesus to the point to which he was run out of his own hometown. The point to which he, he says, you shake the dust of your feet, and a prophet is not welcomed in his own town. He was misunderstood, he was maligned. And eventually it got so bad, you and I know the rest of the story was put on a cross and crucified for you and me because of, of those things. 
Yet at the same time, he doesn't cease being who he is. He doesn't cease being infinite in his love, infinite in his justice. He never ceases uh, being the person that comes along the weak and, and makes them strong. He doesn't cease to be the person that comes along the tired and the weary and he gives them strength and he, and he gives them courage. He, he doesn't cease to be the one who sustains in times of, of desperation. He, he doesn't cease to be the one that doesn't give provision when there is nothing in a person's life. Friends, would you just consider this Jesus? Would you yield your, your life to him and your affection to him and your heart to him? Would you yield your, your time to him? Friend, because I'm telling you, there is not another person in existence, there is not another thing in existence that is worthy of our time, that is worthy of our attention, that is worthy of our affection, that is worthy of our thoughts, that is worthy of how we feel, that is worthy of our words, that is worthy of what we do than him. Friends, would you consider this Jesus? Would you fix your eyes upon him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are good and kind. We pray, Father, now as we come before your table that we would consider your son, Jesus. Father, would you help us see him as he clearly is in the scriptures, as clearly is in, in your word, and help us make much of him. So, Father, would your presence be with us in this time as we come before your table? And we ask these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen.